The Dossier Podcast is back. This is Jordan Shaktel, your host. Today we have Noor Bin Laden. Um, you know, you can you can tell that there's going to be a lot of um, inquiry based on the last name, but we'll just get that out of the way. Noor, I believe, um, is the late um, Osama Bin Laden's niece. Um, she comes from a massive family, the, the Bin Laden family, um, you know, throughout the Arab world um, is, you know, dominant in industry and all kinds of uh, genres. But, you know, there was one bad apple. So I think a Western audience will, um, you know, at, will want to ask about, you know, the potential relationship and, and there it is. But, you know, Noor, I've been following you for quite some time. Uh, we corresponded back and forth over the, the COVID era um, for quite a bit and just, you know, the, the, the power dynamics globally and how everything crazy was going on. Noor is uh, based in Switzerland. So I saw um, on social media that she was actually covering Davos. Um, and I think that she shares kind of this um, pro, and I'll, I'll let her speak for herself, but you know, my, my genuine sense of it is that, you know, Noor is very much aligned um, ideologically with kind of like the pro freedom, anti, you know, big government, big corporate tyranny movements that we're seeing, you know, with the World Economic Forum and whatnot. But um, yeah, Noor, it's so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. And uh, to bounce off of your introduction, I'll introduce myself for your audience who maybe is hearing about me for the first time. Uh, I've been uh, quite vocal and involved politically, uh, speaking up for the past uh, almost four years now. Uh, I came out as a pro-Trump, pro-America uh, first um, uh, proponent, uh, because I do believe very, very strongly that a strong America and an independent America, most importantly, is absolutely uh, necessary in order to stop this globalist takeover, this globalist coup that is happening under our eyes at the very moment. And so um, my work really centers in terms of the research that I do and um, what I write around this intersection of uh, American history, of uh, what it means to be America first and the rise of globalism. And um, it's very much that my focus of, of study and so I've done uh, a lot of reporting on the WEF and uh, what happens here in my home country of, uh, of Switzerland, because as you mentioned, uh, I am based here. I was born and raised here. My mom is Swiss um, and, uh, and my father, yes, is Saudi and from the Bin Laden family. And uh, uh, for people who are uh, curious or would like to know more about my background and uh, how it is a part of my journey or how it has influenced me in, uh, in uh, making me want to speak up, uh, especially uh, with regards to why uh, I love America and why I support um, the America First movement. People can go to my, to my website, norbinladen.com. Uh, they can read my letter to America which I published in September 2020. And, you know, there are also a bunch of interviews and things like that there. 
Yeah, it's great to have you. And you have a new subsec, right? Nurbinladen.subsec.com for those who are watching can see in the profile below, but it's just her name.substack.com. It's uh, N-O-O-R-B-I-N-L-A-D-I-N.substack.com. So that's a new endeavor. And I saw that you um, had just written a forward to a popular um, uh, online presence in the, your latest Substack piece. Yes. Yes. So I, I launched the Substack a couple of months ago because I realized um, very early on that um, Elon Musk buying Twitter uh, to me uh, is a psyop and um, is a uh, is definitely not uh, this new free speech platform uh, Elon purports it to be. And I think while the Twitter files did a lot to expose what was going on pre-Elon uh, Musk purchase, uh, it was the tip of the iceberg. And I think uh, manipulations and algorithm, algorithmic manipulations are still very much alive and well on Twitter and as his WEF appointed or WEF affiliated appointed CEO, Linda Iaccarino has been on record uh, saying, you know, Twitter is about freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. And uh, obviously that has to do with algorithmic manipulations. But so I wanted to start a new um, Substack for that reason. And my first post is dedicated to explaining um, why I'm making this move. Uh, and, you know, I go into, for example, the European Union's uh, DSA, uh, Digital Services Act, and how they are um, going to throttle uh, speech on Twitter, etc. So, yeah, that was the, the impetus behind my starting my Substack. And as you mentioned, I just uh, posted today an article where I republished the foreword of uh, Raw Egg Nationalists book, The Eggs Benedict Option, which I encourage everybody to read because it is about the Great Reset, but from a very particular angle um, of the food supply chain and how uh, the industrialization of agriculture is such a danger for us all and how the globalists are are essentially uh, pushing for total control over our food supply. They are at a stage where they have quasi uh, total control. And what we're seeing happening today, you know, with all these farmers protests across Europe, for example, uh, is completely tied to that. It's incredibly timely, it's timeless, and it's uh, a critical read to understand the Great Reset from this perspective. I couldn't agree more. So yeah. I, I suppose that your diet, you're not going to agree to the bugs, um, impossible yeah. burgers and beyond meat diet. I assume you've ruled that out. But in all seriousness, like completely, this is, <laughs> I'll eat my beef every day. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is the agenda that they have, especially for the developing world, where people often can't afford or don't have access to this stuff. I mean, I'm sure you're very familiar with what Bill Gates is doing and he's kind of part of this WEF, um, you know, elite or so-called elite class. And you know, they're all in agreement that, um, especially in these developing countries, they want them eating cornmeal bugs and, you know, injecting themselves with endless amounts of experimental pharmaceuticals. And, you know, this is like 
it, it's already such a low standard of living, um, especially in parts like sub-Saharan Africa. And unfortunately, these so-called saviors are delivering what they determine to be solutions, which are basically a death sentence to a lot of places that need to industrialize their way out of this. Of course, you know, it's funny because it's ironic because Klaus Schwab has described this era as the fourth industrial revolution, but it's really, you know, what they want to impose upon us is a de-industrial revolution. And I, I think that, you know, you've done some really interesting reporting from Davos. I saw you um, appeared a couple of times on Bannon's war room. Um, and I, I saw it, especially actually, I think you had a scoop that you saw that um, Mark, General Mark Milley, the former Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, her, uh, you know, leader was there and uh, no one really, it, it's weird because like, you know, I, I looked it up a couple of days later and you were indeed, you know, you had indeed cited him and, uh, you know, Politico, I think after you reported that he was at these like uh, agenda 2030 meetings. And it's just kind of weird that you have such prominent people that go to Davos now and they don't really want to be seen, which is why it's so important that you know, people like you are actually physically there. Yes. Um, and, you know, in addition to the folks at Rebel News and whatnot. But mm. um, so how was the 2024 meeting that just occurred a couple of weeks ago? Uh, what did you yeah. what did you make of the whole thing? Yeah, just on with regards to the General Milley thing, it was uh, it was actually funny because I had to do a double take. I was outside in the cold with my tripod waiting for my segment uh, on Steve's war room. And he passed by right behind me to enter the Ukraine house. So all these companies and these organizations, or in this instance, this, these, this country, Ukraine, they rent out different lodges or houses or shops on the main road, the promenade, as it's called. And uh, they had the Ukrainian house, as it's called, last year at the same spot. And so I was doing some reconnaissance uh, on, the, on the promenade before starting my, my week of reporting. And uh, I decided to do the first, um, on the Monday, the first round of, of uh, interviews in front of Ukraine House because the poster in the colors of the Ukrainian flag obviously spelled out in big, bold letters, deciding your tomorrow, which I thought was incredibly ironic but very true, you know, it's much more accurate than the official tagline or theme for the annual meeting of this year, which was rebuilding trust, right? So I was doing the interviews from that post and uh, General Milley walked by right behind me and entered uh, the Ukraine, Ukrainian house. And uh, I went in there afterwards and um, I tried to ask him a few questions. He had his entourage and, uh, and he, you know, I overheard, overheard him say that he was there, you know, and he was going to have meetings with different uh, officials of Ukraine, et cetera. And obviously we know that he has been incredibly um, supportive of uh, the war in Ukraine and um, is completely a part of this entire scheme. Uh, but uh, yeah, there are so many questions to ask uh, to ask Millie uh, in terms of his participation or lack thereof action in terms of January 6. Uh, you know, why is he more concerned with Ukraine uh, and not with the invasion happening at the southern border? I mean, these people are so 
um, they're, they're traitors. They are traitors. They are actively undermining and, and working against the interests of the country they are supposed to serve and instead are supporting other countries um, and globalist interests and corporation interests and the mil uh, industrial military industrial complex you know the these actors that meet in davos are there to serve and answer to the globalist agenda and they have no uh, what's the word um allegiance to their own countries to their own nations this is clearly a supranational entity and they answer to that supranational entity not to their nations yeah I 100% agree that they adhere to this globalist ideology that determines nationalism or patriotism as like, you know, degenerate movements, unsophisticated. They're very much about, you know, these, these global solutions to local problems and, you know, this, this centralized form of tyranny that I think that, um, you know, the, the closest um, vision to or closest reality to what you know the World Economic Forum, Davos, um, Klaus Schwab, uh, Gates, BlackRock, all these big institutions. I think I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but um, they look to China and they're very much motivated to kind of impose a yes. similar system, specifically involving the censorship and surveillance apparatus. I think that's that's the way that they see things is that um, the mistakes that they've made are because mistakes. they don't have enough control. Like it's yeah. never, you know, the theme of Davos this year, for those who weren't paying, um, you know, that weren't watching too closely was it was rebuilding trust. So everything was about, you know, rebuilding, but, but how was trust lost in the first place? And um, you know, you were, on the ground there, but from my understanding, basically they they came to the conclusion that um, we lost trust because we didn't have enough control over the narrative, and that is the lesson learned. Isn't that um, you know the people are fed up with them and don't want anything to do with their agenda? The lesson learned is that you know they need to kind of force their agenda even more um, aggressively upon us. You're absolutely right, uh, Jordan. And one, um, there are two speeches or special addresses that really stood out to me. Uh, the first one was Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the UN, who expressly stated what you just said. And he called for deep reforms to global governance. And this is exactly what he means by that. It's tightening the screws of all these mechanisms that they've so carefully put in place throughout the 20th century. And um, he also admonished the countries and companies who are, quote, pursuing their own narrow interests instead of common goals and principles. So they say it in plain English, you know, they can call us conspiracy theorists all they want, we're not conspiracy theorists, as I wrote in my foreword to the Eggs Benedict Option, Ren's book. It's not a conspiracy um, because it's not hidden. And it's not a theory because if you go and look at the policies, initiatives, etc., that they've 
uh, put in place, proposed, enacted, you can see clearly that there is a drive towards what they refer to as a new world order or a great reset or agenda 2030, whichever term you want to use. Um, and the goal is centralized power in the hands of the very few and control over all the world's resources, which includes us. And this is what they, what they roll out in these forums like the World Economic Forum. When you look at also the UN General Assembly that takes place every September, you look at COP28. And once you start looking at the architecture of the globalist system, you see how all of these corporations or national governments, uh, these international organizations, smaller NGOs, how they are all part of the same web working towards that goal. Yeah, in terms of conspiracy theories, I mean, it, it's not like, it, so, so here's the thing. I think that it, it's hard for people to accept that there are very powerful forces that have deliberately immoral and bad intentions for humanity. And you look no further to, you know, the, the two guiding ideologies, in my view, or the two guiding premises of the WEF is that there's too many people here and that because there's too many people, the world is being destroyed by the climate hope or climate change. Mm -hmm. So if there's too many people and, you know, this is the reason why, you know, everything is bad. Like, would you really want to trust these people with um, handling the affairs of your entire civilization? I mean, I certainly wouldn't. So it's just, it's bizarre to me. Like you have people like John Kerry, Bill Gates, Klaus, um, Larry Fink, BlackRock, all these very powerful individuals that have access to very powerful people and um, you know, can motivate agendas and you know, move trillions of dollars in whichever direction they see fit. Now, this is what they're telling you. I mean, they say that the, the world's going to end and we need to deindustrialize essentially to fix it. Like that's like the most radical thing I've heard in a very long time. And, and I think like a lot of people get caught up in trying to specifically label it. Like I just call these people anti-humans or, or mm -hmm. something similar because like, I don't think it's, I'm interested to hear your take on this, but like, I don't think necessarily that they're like communists or, uh, you know, socialists or something, you know, like kind of like we have this American dichotomy that yeah. we're like from the cold war era that we try to like figure out what ideological box they're in. But in my view, it's as simple as they want to obtain as much power as humanly necessary. Mm -hmm. And they are fundamentally against human progress, right? Like call it whatever you want, but that's their agenda the way I see it. You mentioned that you, you call them anti-human. So the label that I've uh, found for them is Malthusian psycho freaks. This is <laughs> how I call them. Because if you look at the root of their ideology, it is completely based in uh, Malthus. And I think what people have trouble grasping is that this could be a long-standing methodical plan. I think a lot of people 
I hear the word incompetence so much and they see our leaders are in, as incompetent. I don't think that they're incompetent at all. I think this is very much deliberate. And the way that I try to explain it so that, so that people can better understand how it is possible that we got to the point where we are today, where this plan, this new world, world order is on the brink of being realized, and we can get into that a bit later, is uh, by explaining um, what the Davosian cult is. And why I use the term cult, it's because you have to really look at this as an ideology that is passed on from generation to generation. And this is very much an intergenerational plan. So I don't know how far back you want to go. I My area of study is focused on the past 200 or so years. I would trace the current form of this globalist plan to the Congress of Vienna in 1815. And, and if you look throughout the 19th century and throughout the 20th century, you can see the incremental steps from that point onwards that have been made for us to reach this point. And you, you look especially at the Woodrow Wilson administration and the first attempt to a global government, you know, with the League of Nations, um, which failed thanks to the American people who, who recognized what this plan was and who refused uh, to participate and to join the League of Nations. And at the time, thankfully, your Senate wasn't as compromised as it is today. I mean, today you look at, uh, at, uh, at Congress and it's basically people who have completely signed up to the globalist agenda. We're dealing with a uniparty right now who have signed up and sworn allegiance to uh, the globalists. Um, but back then, so we're, we're talking, you know, post-World War I era, uh, it was the United States of America, the people of the United States of America that thwarted the first iteration of a global governance system. They then had, by they, I mean the globalists, they then had to usher in a second world war and rope in Americans again into the second world war in order to institute the United Nations, you know, the, 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 which is the direct descendant, if you will, of the League of Nations, if you can put it that way. And so post-World War II up to this point has really been cementing this plan, this architecture of the globalist system. And I mentioned, you know, we are really on the brink of the realization of the con can you say concretization or that's a French word probably, but they're, they're, they're making these plans concrete. And this is thanks to the advent of technology. Uh, when I was reporting on Davos uh, in 2023, the main focus or what I was trying to put across is that with the advent of the internet of things with 5G, um, um, with the sophistication of the devices, they are at a point where they can implement this total mass surveillance biosecurity state uh, where they will track every single movement that we make. And, and you mentioned that China um, is, is kind of the model earlier in the conversation. And it's so important that people understand that that is 100% 
true what you said. China is the blueprint for what they want in the West. And it is only disguised in a different form. Um, they are trying to pretend that they are these benefactors, that they are saving humanity from pandemics, from climate change, all of these pretexts, these Trojan horses that they that they push the narratives, there's, they are nonstop, you know, the propaganda. And then they come with the solutions, they quote solutions. And these solutions inevitably lead to loss of freedom for the population. But make no mistake, it's exactly the same system that they have in China that they want to implement in the West. And we are in the middle of this final battle where either they push forward and we will be put into proper digital jails where, where all our transactions will be um, controlled, you know, via CBDCs, you know, these digital currencies. And then we will have carbon credit scores with the 15-minute cities. We will live in, if they have their way, they will put us in the pods, they will feed us the bugs, and uh, we cannot let this come to pass because, I mean, not to sound dramatic, but humanity is on the line because, as you mentioned, they are absolutely anti-human, and you just have to look at their transhumanist um, agenda to realize that that's the case. Yeah, you know, I think back on the the previous several years of what was happening in Davos, and there was really a very little um, recognition from the general public. No one really understood what was going on there. Okay. And you would just see kind of like a little bit of reporting from corporate mainstream news. And I think that you know, one of the things that we have on our side today is that um, there's a lot of sunlight on what's going on there now. And there needs to be a lot more, like there needs to be more people like you who either are living in the vicinity or are willing to travel there and hold these people accountable um, and or just continue to, you know, transcribe what they're saying and <laughs> try to translate it in um in, in terms of people who aren't, you know, ideologically insane. But yeah, I think, I think you're right about, especially the problem with the, the uniparty in the US now, you know, from my perspective, um, having lived in DC for a while, they make it um, the system or whatever you want to call it. Um, they make it very easy for people to fall in line with mm -hmm. the consensus in Washington, whether that's through the lobbyists or, you know, through through like these major corporate interests that own senators, congressmen, or just the bureaucratic state, um, you know, you can get a sense right away if you're, you know, if you were President Trump or you know, senator or congressman, that there's a direction that they want to push you, and they use the media to help. Mm -hmm. And if you proceed forward in that direction you will be rewarded with, you know, a lifetime of benefits and comfort. But that's why I so much appreciate those who are willing to swim upstream and do what is right. And we need more people who can do what is right. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of brings me to the big 2024 election. You know, Trump is the nominee now. Mm -hmm. the primary is over. Thank God. It was like a you know, debilitating disaster for us. Uh, you know, I was originally a DeSantis guy. No, um, Jordan. Yeah, 
it hasn't it didn't work out this time um i'm happy to admit it i think he's got a bright political future but you know like trump's the guy now so we got to get behind trump uh in my view and like so from from europe how do you see this playing out do you think that um trump is going like because i I think that like a lot of you know in my circles we're wondering like what kind of um wild card is this like deep state um or administrative state whatever you want to call it what are they going to pull out to stop trump from getting elected because i think he has the numbers um broadly across the country i still have yet to meet someone who's excited about joe biden despite having supposedly 80 million votes uh, the last time around. So so what do you make of all of this? Um, do you think that there's a path to the White House for Trump? There are so many things to say uh, in response to your question. Yeah, I didn't mean to uh, set you up for like a, a Joe Rogan style uh, three hour <laughs> monologue. But yeah, because that's very open ended. But yeah, I appreciate any of your insight from abroad. The first thing I'll say, and I won't dwell on this uh, much, but the reason why I was always on President Trump's train and never switched uh, in terms of this cycle, you know, with all these different candidates is because for me, 2020 was so clearly stolen from day one, from that night when they stopped counting the votes. And so it was such an injustice. And in some ways, and I tweeted this several times um, since then, but you know, there's no 2024 without rectifying 2020, in my opinion. The, the system is so rigged. And so we have an, an, an illegitimate fake you know, president who is so senile, he cannot even function sitting in the White House, but the rightful president of the United States today is President Trump. And for me, when such an egregious um, criminal act was committed, the only rightful person that should be in the White House is President Trump. Anyway, um, President Trump, even though he was not present in Davos uh, a couple of weeks ago during the annual meeting week, was on everybody's lips. I remember I was, I was in a cafe, you know, uh, preparing and researching and doing my, my, my prep, and there was this uh, woman who was clearly a businesswoman holding court with like three, four different guys. Um, and at some point she whispered to her party saying, can you imagine uh, if President Trump uh, gets back in the White House? Like what a disaster that would be. And, you know, one of the guys was ex-CNN and he obviously concurred. And, you know, anyway, they were all, you know, terrified of this uh, possibility. And uh, the Iowa victory uh, happened during the Davos week. And so all of the people's heads over there exploded. Um, And in terms of the panels, um, the question mark about a potential return of President Trump was brought up uh, several times, especially in relation to, quote, disinformation and misinformation ahead of such a consequential election. And so I mentioned earlier um, that there was two talks that had stood out to me. And the other one was by Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission. And 
I'll quote, I'll quote her in a second, but what's really interesting is that they made disinformation and misinformation the focus of the entire week, even before the kickoff of the annual meeting, like three, four days before the WEF, the World Economic Forum, published their global risks report for 2024. And in this report, they put out two tables um, with the top 10 global risks. One table was for a horizon of two years, and the second table was for a horizon of 10 years. And the first one, the two-year um, time horizon one, the number one global risk um, for 2024 for the following two years was disinformation and misinformation. And Ursula von der Leyen in her speech, in the opening remarks of her speech had this to say, the top concern for the next two years is not conflict or climate, it's disinformation and misinformation, followed closely by polarization of our societies. These risks are serious because they limit our ability to tackle the big global challenges. She is stating plainly that they need to sort out this problem of disinformation and misinformation to move forward with the climate change agenda, with, you know, a potential pandemic, etc. Whatever they're going to throw at us in 2024, they're going to have to really control our speech in order to advance with their plans. And, um, and so it was incredibly telling because of the focus of the upcoming elections and, you know, there was this panel um, entitled 2.4 billion people at the ballot box. That was the title. It was on the very last day. And Alex Soros was one of the panelists there. And so they were speaking, you know, obviously about protecting democracy as they always do. And uh, we can expect. We're what the end we're end of January, we're the 30th of January and the elections are in November. Um we have to expect that there will be um, many disruptive, many disruptive events between now and the elections. And, uh, you know, perhaps, as I said, on Steve Bannon's war room, even, you know, multiple black swan events, because I don't think that they are going to allow the uh, presidential elections to proceed in a, quote, orderly and normal fashion. Yeah, it, it very much concerns me that that is on the table or um, there's also the option that they swap Biden out if he's still alive by the time of the convention um, for someone, Michelle Obama, Gavin Newsom. Um, I think where a lot of us conservatives, libertarians, whatever label you want to put on us, yeah. um, where we are disadvantaged is that the people in charge determine the rule set and they can change the rules if need be. And it you know, goes to show that in the United States, very clearly, there's two tiers of justice. Oh, yes. Um, but the Biden family has committed so many uh, provable, easily convictable crimes, and they haven't been held liable for any of them. Um, and you have this whole system of kind of a ruling leap that expands well beyond the Biden family. But I think it's the most clear and transparent evidence that um, they don't play by the rules, but they want to impose the rules upon us. 
So of course this moves to the electoral process as well. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting. And I, I wanted to ask, um, because you're a European specifically. So when I talk to my European friends, um, it, it's shocking to see the amount of ignorance mm -hmm. that um, in, the, in their discussions about the United States, you know, the current, the future, the past. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with people who only read the corporate media. For example, I can't tell you how many people in Europe I've talked to who have no idea that Joe Biden's basically a cadaver at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's shocking to me. Do you, do you, are you also witnessing that in Europe? Like that there's, there's kind of like this like control of the information flow that's coming out of the United States, because it's just, it's just mind boggling to me that there's people who should know better, um, especially in Western Europe, who seemingly have no idea what the actual state of affairs are here. Listen, it's, uh, it's completely uh, shocking how much our speech here in Europe is controlled compared to the United States of America. And if you think censorship is bad in the US, it's uh, nothing compared to Europe. You at least have a quite wide variety of um, media and outlets, and um, you can still access information quite easily. I mean, Rumble is, um, is censored. You cannot access Rumble, for example, in France wow. because they refused to uh, remove certain types of content, etc. So the ignorance um, of American affairs in Europe, I mean, you're spot on. Uh, people don't know, people believe that an insurrection took place on January 6th in Europe, right? And, um, and this is just one example. Um, but the, the propaganda about the United States is also or the, the lack of real information about the United States is also very prevalent in the US when you look at kids what they're, or children, what they're learning in school, et cetera, about the US, about US history. I mean, it's so appalling and again, shocking to me what they're being taught and what they are not being taught you know, about the history of your country. And I mean, this could be a whole other conversation. I've studied this a lot as someone who really loves your country and who admires greatly what your founding fathers were able to accomplish um, in essence with the Declaration of Independence, with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. You know, these are the, the best safeguards that not just the US but humanity um, uh, has in terms of understanding what our fundamental and inalienable rights are as human beings. And that's why there has been such an, an, a concerted, relentless attack by the globalists to destroy America and destroy America from within ever since even the inception of the country, ever since 1776. And, um, and so this is also part of, of the work that I'm trying to do because I, I'm so heartbroken when I see the state of the US, you mentioned, you know, the infiltration of all these different levels of government. And uh, I've um, collaborated a bit with um, Darren Beatty, you know, of Revolver News, uh, the past few years, uh, highlighting the um, blatant 
uh, an egregious weaponization of the national security states against American citizens. I mean, as we're speaking, you know, you have upstanding innocent Americans that are sitting in the D.C. gulag um, simply for ex exercising their uh, free speech, you know. And so coming back to your question about Europe versus the United States, you guys have 1A and you have 2A. And these are these these two amendments are what are sta is standing in the way of the globalist agenda. So you really need to to do everything in your power to protect 1A and 2A because um, we also overseas are counting on you um, to stop this uh, this anti-human agenda. Yeah, it, it's um, none other than Klaus Schwab writes about this in his books that he says. Um, in the, in the fourth industrial revolution and in, in another book he wrote no. that basically it's the American people, the, the rebels in the United States who are most to blame for the, the, the fact that he can't impose, he hasn't yet imposed, you know, this entire agenda upon the world. And I think that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, I appreciate that you are an American at heart, I feel, mm -hmm. and yes. that there are so I wish that there were many more around the world, especially, you know, as we're kind of entering this time where the United States has greatly overextended itself is in financial turmoil, you know, geopolitical turmoil. Um, and there's going to be all of these geopolitical vacuums that are going to be filled by all kinds of actors. But I, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, these, these actors, nation states, don't um, care about upholding the sacred principles of the American founding. So when I see a lot of this conversation on social media that, you know, America's evil, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it's about time that America falls apart. Like they're, these people, uh, I think, are very naive about what could come next. Um, and yes, you know, I, I agree with the sentiment that, American foreign policy in the 21st century has been a total disaster. Um, and, you know, American academia and the mm -hmm. progressive movement, all that stuff has been really bad stuff. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean like those movements are associated with what it means to be an American and to believe in our foundational principles. So, you know, I wish that more more people had your perspective mm -hmm. that, no, we need more Americanism in the world. We absolutely do need more Americanism in the world, and we do need more understanding of the motivations behind the founding fathers. And this is why um, everything was done. The capturing of the education system in America was so crucial to the globalists because they needed to sever you know, the younger generations ongoing. You know, it's been going for, I mean the Rockefellers and, uh, and their foundation, they started infiltrating the education system in the early 1900s. Um, but uh, we, need, we need a revival of the, ninth, of the 1776 spirit, as I call it. And um, we need to teach younger generations about the true history of the United States and to respond to what you were saying in terms of the image of America in the world as this evil nation, et cetera, this was very much engineered. 
And people need to understand that there is a separation between the people of the United States of America and their hijacked government. Your government has been hijacked for over a hundred years. I mean, I think the nail in the coffin um, was hammered in, you know, during the Woodrow Wilson administration and the creation of the Fed in 1913, among, among, among other things. Um, and it was President Trump, you know, who uh, said in an interview a few years ago with Sean Hannity, he asked a question. He said, he said, how did we, the uh, America, how did we become the policeman or the watchdog of the world? Every single conflict that we joined after World War II, we've lost, you know, starting with the Korean War. And he made that point and he asked this very important question. And this is a question that I reiterated on my on my Twitter. And it's true. People need to ask themselves, how did we go from Pax Britannica to Pax Americana after the Second World War? And why was the U.S. made to be this overseas military sort of watchdog that just entered in all of these conflicts? And at the same time, it was the American population that was being siphoned of their taxpayer dollars, you know, so there was really an effort to gut the country from within, but also as Sean Stone, uh, who I interviewed recently for a Roig Nationalist magazine, A Man's World, you know, he said there was something about losing the Vietnam War specifically, but it applies to all these wars, um, that it was about breaking American pride, you know, so you can look at um, foreign policy of the U.S. quite broadly in those terms, and you just have to look at what happened, you know, with the, quote, disastrous pullout of um, Afghanistan, um, which people said was, you know, incompetence, but this was very much deliberate, uh, Jordan. You know, these people, they know what they're doing, and they're going to keep, as we see, with current events, they're going to keep embroiling us in these never-ending wars because they benefit from perpetual chaos, or as the WEF people refer to it, perma-crisis, another right. one of their, their key words, you know, that they use. Yeah, I'm sure you've been following the pharma beat too, and they, uh, you know, they now refer to the, the, uh, the, the respiratory season as a triple-demic, that's the new branding. Um, you know, you see this across industry, government, the roll up of power is, you know, it was a slow moving process. And I think what opened a lot of people's eyes and ears to this agenda was the pandemic or so-called pandemic, where all of a sudden um, a lot of our rights were stripped from us basically nice. overnight yeah. by executive order um, you know, no legal process, no vote, uh, trillions of dollars, you know, spent mm -hmm. the American people and people around the world, you know, their wealth debased by 25%, yes. 50%, depending on where you live. And, you know, I, as we kind of recover from that era, I'm wondering if you're more optimistic that you know the broader american population but just global civilization in general seem i don't know if you agree but they seem to me to be so much more aware of these issues whereas we were basically just sleeping into you know a future of tyranny mm -hmm. um so what's your take on that 
That's a great question. Um, for sure, they overextended their hand with, with COVID and it was so grotesque um, that it did force a lot of people to wake up. But I think prior to that, President Trump's upset win and everything he was saying um, made people question, first and foremost, the media. You know, so I think that was already the beginning of what people have referred to as the Great Awakening. So I think, you know, you can criticize President Trump and there are things, you know, for sure he could have done better, but at the same time, he had the might of this entire system against him. So time will tell, you know, in, in what really transpired during his, his first term. But one thing we can always give him credit for and be thankful for uh, in terms of his contribution is that he did awaken millions of people and not just in, uh, and not just in America. And uh, that is obviously evidenced. I mean, I don't know if you saw or if your audience saw, but there were marches for President Trump all over the world, you know, in Japan, in uh, Guatemala, I think in Nigeria, you had people, I mean, also when he went to India, do you remember the stadium, how filled it was? I mean, people, people realize um, what he was trying to, to fight uh, against. And so yeah, the first major leader of my lifetime who actually upset the apple cart. Yes. And, you know, I say this relatively often in my interviews, but you just have to go back and listen to his inauguration speech, you know, and it gives me chills when I listen to, to what he has. He said he had all the establishment right behind him, right on his back. And he said so plainly, it was just so brilliant. I, I watch it from time to time, but I haven't watched it in a long time, so I'm going to paraphrase. But, you know, he, he said he, he was going to transfer the power back to the American people from the establishment, in essence. But it was so powerfully said. Um, so, yeah, uh, once in a lifetime, once in a lifetime figure. And I would, I would argue more than once in a lifetime. If you look at the 20th century, there hasn't been any uh, any president, uh, maybe JFK, you know, and tried and did say a few things um, about the establishment. You have one famous quote of, I think, Eisenhower as well, and one famous quote from Truman that circulate from time to time, but to the degree of President Trump, I mean, it's... Yeah, um, no, J JFK was definitely an inspiring leader and may have saved yeah. us from nuclear annihilation. So I, yeah. I definitely appreciate that he did that. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how much power the president at least should have. But you're right. Like, I remember very early on, even before Donald Trump stepped into the White House, there was a vicious campaign mm -hmm. to destroy him, delegitimize him. You know, this mm -hmm. soft coup or medium coup, whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, was relentless the entire time. And I totally understand the sentiment that, you know, he he belong, he deserves a second chance or even a first chance because you know, they really took the first term away from him too oh, yes. with um, you know the right away you know the russian collusion stuff was all nonsense and just a way to chip away at his political capital and they did that successfully so you know i think hopefully if he can get in again somehow he'll he'll heed the lessons and totally yeah. you know ignore the the pressure from the corporate media and all these institutions and do what he can to uh 
right the ship. But um, but yeah, just um, Jordan, to just one thing to answer your question because you asked me if I was optimistic and everything. And yes, you know we can follow politically what's going on, and there is this election that is upcoming. Although we don't know what they're going to throw at us in the meantime, and it's important to cover um, the developments, you know, around the primaries and etc. But I very much um, appreciate General Flynn's messaging that we need to act local and uh, it's not, we cannot expect a politician to come and save us. You know, the globalists talking about the architecture uh, that they set up and this web that they set up throughout the 20th century, they've infiltrated all levels of government. You know, I'm sure your audience is familiar with Soros, you know, funding the district attorneys, you know, in several places, they've really created an, an all-encompassing machine in order to grab power uh, away from us. And so we need to look each of us in our own lives and where we are, what it is we can do to reverse that. And some institutions need to be um, cleaned out these people, these infiltrators need to be removed. Some of these institutions need to be outright uh, defunded and dismantled, such as the United Nations. Um, and uh, also, you know, if you look in terms of uh, the United States specifically, uh, you look at an institution like the FBI, which was created illegally in the first place. Uh, there had not been congressional approval to set up that entity and it was the it was the uh, attorney general um, under uh, Roosevelt before Woodrow Wilson, who not FDR. Uh, I forgot I forgot his first name and it, it escapes me. Um, who in 1908 shuffled some funds around and created uh, the FBI against the. Um, Sorry, I'm losing my English. Against the... Um, I only the speak will, one language. Against the will of the American people, basically. They didn't have approval. And so he still created uh, uh, the FBI. So the institution is illegitimate from the get-go. And you see what they're doing and how it's being weaponized against people, as um, against, quote, dissidents, as we mentioned earlier. It's just so appalling. So all, all of this system, this web of institutions, these NGOs, all of this, it needs to be cleaned out completely if we are to have a chance at maintaining our, our sovereignty, both on an individual level and on a national level. Yeah, we've definitely got an uphill battle on our hands. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I but, think that... But I am optimistic, sorry. No, no. I, I'm not I... a black pillar. <laughs> I just want to say for the record, I'm not a black pillar. I'm very optimistic. I do think that we get on the other side of the tunnel, but psychologically, we need to be prepared for two, three, four years ahead of us that are going to be, as you said, an uphill battle and incredibly difficult, um, perhaps with another pandemic. You know, they were discussing disease X, as you wrote about on the dossier. We have uh, also um, indications from the WEF, et cetera, about cyber attacks that, you know, maybe they're going to launch, you know, a massive cyber attack on the world population, you know, across systems. 
So who knows, you know, so we need to be prepared, um, you know, look at survivalist videos. I look at survivalist videos and I try to like prepare as best as I can food wise, etc. cetera. Uh, but psychologically, just know that we have a few, especially months ahead of the elections ahead of us that are going to be quite um, turbulent. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I'm optimistic is because it will be difficult to surprise those of us who have kind of been awakened by this era of insanity. Like it will be difficult to throw a curveball at us that will genuinely make us comply with whatever, you know, the, the coming agenda item is. So, you know, whether it's a pharmaceutical thing or a cyber attack, um, people will be deeply skeptical or some type of political maneuver or a war. So, um, you know, I, I agree like that there's a, there's going to be a lot of people who are, are ready to push back against, you know, the, the Malthusians, the anti-humans, whatever they have, uh, you know, spinning up um, next and. You know, that goes into a whole different conversation about, uh, you know, all the, the pandemic stuff and whatnot. But, um, mm. Noor, what's, uh, what's on the agenda for you? Like, what's coming up next? Anything you're working mm. on in the Substack? Yeah, I have, uh, I have a few articles I'm working on for Substack, um, which uh, I'm looking forward to sharing. Uh, more of the historical stuff. That's where I really, like, enjoy doing my research is finding, like, these nuggets in history. Um, so stay tuned for that. And then um, in terms of the WEF and for people who want to understand more about the agenda and their uh, way of functioning, a friend of mine, Nick Sharuti from Geneva, um, and I, we created this website called weendfreedom.com. Um, and uh, it's basically a repository of links, videos, official documentation of the WEF. Um, but organized in a way where all of this information can be quite overwhelming. And we know, of course, with all the word salad that they use and these, the terminology that they use. So we try to organize the information in a, in a helpful way to educate people on what is their true intent. Yeah, there, there needs to be like a WEF lexicon. You know how yeah. RFK Jr. wrote the real Anthony Fauci? There needs yeah. to be like a step-by-step -step kind of uh, encyclopedia that uh, debunks all of the, you know, the, the terminology that they say is for the greater good or for the good of society. But, you know, we appreciate what you're doing. And uh, so the best way to find you is at norbinladen.substack.com. And I suppose on your X account that you are slowly phasing out because, you know, I actually agree with... Um, you know, your concerns about Elon, but are, are you still on X for now? Yeah, I am still on X. I mean, I'll, I'll continue, I'll continue tweeting until uh, I can. Um, but I, I am trying to move away and, uh, and post on Substack. And if people could subscribe, it would be great. Because I think once they start, again, we discussed uh, what the main risk is, you know, disinformation and misinformation, once they're going to start to tighten the screws even further this year. Um, it's going to be helpful to be able to communicate directly with people. So if you can drop your email uh, in on my Substack, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely appreciate you coming on so much and, and definitely encourage everyone listening to subscribe to Nora's Substack because 
she is a very independent voice with a very unique perspective. So, um, Noor, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. It was a pleasure.